You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Christopher, where are you right now? Because I saw on your Strava like two days ago, you were still overseas. Are you still overseas or are you back in the homeland? Nope, back home, back at work. And you said yes to this interview. When I when I messaged you about uh, talking, I was like, she's for sure going to say no. Like, this girl has to have no time right now to talk to us. Yeah. So thank Always you. Always have time. Okay, well, good. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I don't know if you um, listened to the last Race Brain episode, um, but I wanted to, like, referee, like, some sort of verbal fight between you and Bracken to start. All right, let's go. Out. How about finishing? How about finishing fifty fourth at a world championships? It's worse than I've ever done. It's only fifty fourth if you count the women that beat me. So uh, that definitely counts because 48? I will be another one of those women that has beat you. No, you weren't there. But I will beat you when we fight. So the women that beat you always count. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they do. I would give anyone else crap for that. I was pooping out the remains of Costa Rica. That's my yes. excuse. Uh, we're going to need a better one. Is that what's going to happen when I beat you as well? I Probably, yeah. Sometimes people boop themselves if they lose consciousness. <laughs> I hope you're ready. Okay, that sounds confident. Bracken, could you actually hit, could could you see like with this smack talk, and obviously Chris is an ad, uh, a solid adversary, could you actually toss some knuckles Absolutely at her? In this... <laughs> no. I thought you were it's okay, sure you wouldn't need double to. down on it. This originated you, as He wouldn't have the chance. You would be passed out too soon before you have a chance. I know some pretty solid takedowns. I it's know good. how to check somebody out. I don't care if you have 50 pounds on me. That ain't nothing. You did listen. I want to moderate this real quick. All right, Bracken's <laughs> not going to throw a punch, but he's allowed to grapple, I assume, right? Because that seems fair. Um, Chris, what's your first move for real? You guys are sitting there. You're doing the stagger. You're kind of jostling back and forth, and you go in for the first move. What is it? Uh, I would probably let Bracken make the first move. I would just tap out <laughs> immediately. Done. I would just tap and be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lose lose. I'm not fighting a woman. Are you kidding me? You tap this out. Started... You tap out. We will run into the next round, and then I got you. Oh, then you'll be unless the tap it. occurs, the fight's over. I... This occurs first from a, th- a throwaway line. On a race brain podcast where Rich asked everyone who they'd fight in the industry, and I wasn't going to make waves, so I chose you because I'm sick of your antics. But I would, mm. I'm a verbal, I'm a, I'm just a verbal fighter. I'm a trash talker. I have no desire to fight in real life. Oh, well, I'm yeah, a physical you fighter. Went to so Alaska. I hope you're watching your back next time. <laughs> Brett, can you traveled somewhere to box that's a yeah. fighter and i, and I you found won. out what i found out what i needed to know about myself it was on the bucket list i wanted to be in an official combat situation where you have to look across the ring or the cage and everyone else leaves and you find out exactly what you need to know. it's like being at the bad stages of an ultra you find something out you couldn't have find earlier and i really wanted to find that out and I found out what I needed to find out. And I also realized I wasn't the type of person who's addicted to that feeling. So I don't ever intend on doing it again. But yeah, I did. And I loved it. And it was worth every second of it. 
I'm so glad I did it. And that's, I'm going to retire one and all undefeated and untied. All right. As long so no, as you Chris, never you... meet me in a no. dark alley. <laughs> well, well, that's different. <laughs> that's much different. I would never intentionally fight you. If you okay. jump Chris, me, have I'd you have ever... to defend myself until I could run away. Chris, have you ever been in a fight in an actual physical altercation? And if so, no. how did that turn out? Well, you, you never know. Fight... You think the safest Some... fight? Some girl at the county fair comes up and tugs your ponytail for no reason, and you turn around and clock her, like something like that. I am or messes right with your horses. Yes. Unfortunately, no. The only fights I've been in have been Spartan Games and Go-Rec Games in the past one year. I didn't yeah. even, like, fight siblings growing up. Like, I'm actually a very calm, tame person. Me either. Except for when I'm around Bracken. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Because I re- the, as much smack as Bracken talked, as soon as push came to shove, his tail went right between his legs. Oop. I'm done. I mean, what, what would you rather have me do, Kirk? Back away and concede to a female or double down that I'm going to physically assault a female? <laughs> like, which one, which one would give you more pride in me as a man? I think you made a good enter- call. Entertainment-wise, I wanted you to double down, but of course we all wouldn't understand it's tongue-in-cheek. It's a good reminder that words have consequences. Yeah. And if that consequence is that I get sucker punched or kicked by Curse at a race, I accept that. And I'm going to turn and punch whatever man is standing next to her. <laughs> Hopefully it's not her dad. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that I couldn't do. But if, if like you had a boyfriend at the race and you punched me, I would just turn and I would hit him directly. In the face. That's what would good happen. Good to know. Good to know. I will leave my boyfriends at home. Multiple. (laughs) Utah's wild. Smart. Um, Should we be productive in this conversation at all? I have. I I think we've accomplished a lot already. We've already. No, it's true. That Bracken is ready to be beat by another girl at his first chance. You say another. Well, you were beat by some at the world champs. Oh, racing. Sure. Okay, well, then be by your first girl. You very quickly realize in the running world that most of the pro women are faster than you. And I, yes, I made peace with I that years this. ago. When I was trying to qualify for nationals and USATS was happening, I realized I wouldn't have made the women's team. Your ego just goes down the toilet that day, and it never returns. I have no qualms with getting beat by a woman. It's just the fighting one that would be the issue. Well, I uh, wanted to say to you, Chris, that... I have never talked more about another person without them being present in my entire life than talking about you over the course of this year. I'm not one to gossip. I don't spend my time talking about other people in my personal life. Like I think those are for that's for small minds, right? Talking about other people, uh, especially when they're not there. However, but that's what we kind of do. I'm talking in a personal front, like talking smack. Take it another shot at me. No, no, I'm not. But. We have talked about you more than I can remember. We've been doing this for three years, and your name has come up a, a, an absurd amount of times. And I was thinking, like, we're getting to the end of the year. Who do we want to talk to? What would be interesting? And I was like, the the things you have done this year since we've talked to you last and the questions, like, Bracken and I both have for you, like, we need to have this conversation and so that's why we reached out. But Bracken, have you ever, maybe other than Atkins at times, Ryan Atkins, have you ever talked about an athlete as much as we've talked about Chris Roglowski? Can nope. you think of one? Not even no. close. Especially because of race brain with the uh, with the drafts and then the race recaps we do there. Where on this show, we generally only use people as 
examples to a principle we're talking about, which rarely applies to you. But on mm-hmm. on race brain, you obviously get drafted every time. And the vast majority of our draft, we end up spending like more time on you than anyone else saying, is this the time it comes back to bite her? Or can we still trust her? And Because it just continually doesn't make sense what you're doing. And yeah, we spend more time talking about you than anyone else. And that's why I wanted to fight you. I was sick of it. That's fair. You're taking up too much of our time. Sorry, not sorry. I imagine, Chris, you get a little frustrated when we talk about you at times because... At first, I was like the doubter. I was like, Chris ain't going to, she can't do this three weekends in a row, four weekends. Like, what are you thinking when you're when you're hearing us analyze what we believe is going to happen to you? Do you just brush it off or does it add fuel to your fire at times? It mostly just makes me laugh. Um, nobody knows what I can do. And so when people like question it, I'm like, sure, go ahead. Um, yeah, I listen, I actually listen to the race brain podcast and I go running Wednesday mornings and I end up laughing out loud some because some of the things that are said are just I don't know I, I find it amusing I don't um like none of it really affects me except for Bracken actually doubting that I would win WTM that one was a little bit like oh come on um other than that like that's good to have fuel like that mm-hmm. by the way I think uh, everything that is said is fairly reasonable, but like, I'm not reasonable. So I like listen to it and I'm like, yeah, that's fair. That makes sense. But it never really affects me because I know like it doesn't need to, and it probably won't. And so, yeah, I, I like to listen to it. Like I don't have a problem with listening to anything before a race, after a race, like whatever. I just like listen to it as like, this is what other people are saying. Um, and it never really affects things, but I find it like just amusing. I do want to be clear that I picked you to win off podcast. Someone had to take the anti-Chris stance, and I feel as if you and I are to the point where you know that everything that comes out of my mouth about you is tongue-in-cheek. So I felt confident. Like Katie Knight and I don't have the relationship for me to be like, she can't win. And I, I always struggle to take the negative stances against people in the sport, so I generally just choose you because I know you can roll with the punches. And, uh, and I, I do that to Rylan a bit as well. Half of because I know it gets to him and he just eats that stuff alive. And I think he goes to bed making lists of people who have wronged him and half because he's such a happy man. But, but I, I truly believed you were going to win that race. So did I. So okay. we're on the same okay. page. I want to be clear on that. <laughs> I doubted you earlier last year and this year was just, I'm on, I'm on the hype train, whatever. I do want to talk about what this year was because we have, Half of our audience is OCR and half is running. And your season reads that way. But I think that most of the running audience may not actually know what we're referencing when we're talking about your season. So did you do four or five 100-mile races this year? Um, seven if you count WTM. Okay, I'm t- sorry. Let me take OCR out of it. Pure oh. Ultra World. <clears throat> Six. So you did 500. Did you count that 94 mile race as 100? No. It was a 20. No. Uh, wait. 94. Uh, I did a 94 mile weekend. That does not count. Oh, that was that was the that was the total of the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you did six 100 mile races, <clears throat> plus yeah. world's toughest, which is an obstacle race where you also hit 100 miles. Yes. Okay. So that's kind of an absurd year to run seven 100 mile races. And then you add in the fact that to start the year, you also won 
the High Rocks World Championship, which for our listeners who don't know what that is, that is a hybrid competition. Eight by 1,000 meter runs plus eight strength endurance stations. And you made podiums at the premier obstacle racing series in the world. And then won the world's toughest mudder competition as well. So either one of those seasons would be an absurd season, but you did them all together. And I just want people to wrap their minds around why it is that we just continuously say this is foolish what you're doing. That's fair. <laughs> there were a couple of times it felt a little foolish to me too. Um, yeah, no, it was great. I also did the Savage series, which isn't like the True. Spartan series, but mm. kind of threw that in there too. Chris, did you did you always know this was you? Like, was has this always been in you, an odds defier, uh, Chris of ridiculousness, or is this something you've unearthed in recent years? Like, you didn't give yourself a chance to learn this about you until recently, or is like everybody who knows you from like diapers on knows like Chris is this, or is this a yeah, under? Um, I think for me, I only recently found this, and um. Re more recently kind of like actually explored more of like the extent of it. Um, but I think most people that know me would kind of know I'm a little crazy. Um, I've always been, I mean, obviously like haven't done a lot in the athletic world, but I've always, I've always been like, I guess on like the adventurous, like daring side, like I'm kind of down for anything. I'll climb anything. Um, so some of my friends have been like, Oh yeah, this is always you. Um, but I think a lot of other people saw it before I ever did. Um, mm. And then this, I mean, just the past couple years, I've like kind of realized it and decided to like try to take it a little further. I still have not taken it all the way yet, but I think we're getting there. We, we spent two hours talking to you earlier in the year. And I think anyone who hasn't listened to, listened to it needs to go back and re-listen to it. But... So we got, we got your backstory. We got all that. But at that time, we spent our time talking about how you got to here. And then since that, that time, we've spent time without you talking about why does this work? Because it doesn't follow accepted principles of endurance. And I think what we both want to find out today is less of, like, let's stop trying to figure it out and let's just ask you. How do you recover? Why can you run past 24 hours without doing the type of training that's normally associated with it? Why can you still put out power output on short power-based hybrid events? Why, why can you do seven 100 milers in a year on top of running two other race series and a bunch of local things? We want to just hear you talk about, even if you don't have the answers, I think we're fascinated about why you think it works because it, that's the closest we're going to get to any truth on this. We can speculate all we want, but we're wrong because we don't abide by your rules in our lives. And so we don't understand them. Does that make sense? Kirk, is that about right? What we want to do today? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two things. Uh, genetically, I'm very physically set up for this. Um, but also I look at myself objectively and I'm really not that strong. Like to me, it doesn't always make sense. Um, and that's where I think the other more important part comes in is that like mentally I'm in it and I want it. And I think more than that, like it would seem like this consumes me, but it really doesn't. And I think that's a very key part of it. Like, um, 
I actually like did the math on how many races I did this year and how many race weekends I had. And it's a lot, but to me, like, um, I guess I just see that as like a number and like, okay, that's what I did this year. There's no, um, like, I don't feel overwhelmed. I don't feel like I did too much. Like, and I don't even feel like I risk like missed out on the rest of my life at all because, um, like each race, like it was just a race weekend and there's like five to six other days in the week that I was doing all kinds of things that I care about a lot more than racing. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my attempt at like, I feel like I have a pretty good balance and then just like perspective on it to where it doesn't consume me good results, bad results. Like I enjoyed the experience and I just kind of move on to the next thing. Um, it is almost a problem sometimes, uh, for like leading into WTM. Um, a lot of people, like I was planning to do the Spartan ultra world championships and WTM. Um, but when Spartan ultra came up, uh, well, so it canceled what, like a week or two before. And I had actually really like not even like geared up for it or gotten ready for it. So I kind of like, I didn't have to get ready for that. Um, but I feel like a lot of people kind of switched to like, okay, WTM mode. So I had like several conversations with people. I asked some advice, like, I don't really know what I'm getting myself into. What's this going to be like? Um, but it was not until, uh, I was flying home from Greece the weekend before WTM that my brain actually like switched gears to WTM. And I was like, I need to get wetsuits. I need to like figure out my plans for like, where am I staying? What am I doing? Um, and that was like six days before WTM. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I like, uh, until then I was like not even really thinking about WTM. I was thinking about like the next race weekend. And I do like, I mean, obviously there's some planning. Um, but that's that way, like coming into WTM, I went on Amazon and like ordered some wetsuits, um, picked up some things from the store, made sure I had everything like ready to go. And I showed up to um, Pensacola. And I guess to me, I think that kind of adds to like the adventure of it. I was like, all right, like, and it takes the pressure off as well, where, like, I kind of put in the planning, the preparation, like, I'm as well prepared as I'm going to be. So, like, at the end of the day, this is, I'm going to give my best effort, and it is what it is. Like, I'm as prepared as I can be, and anything that, like, I didn't prepare for, like, well, that's my own fault. And, like, I don't know. It's a little bit of a, yeah. like, I think I mentally prepare for it, but the, like, actually physically putting myself in there gives it, like, this, like, idea of like who really knows like let's find out and so I think that like always I don't know I go into every race like a lot of like anticipation and like just ready for like an adventure whatever it is that makes, I don't know. It makes sense to me mm-hmm. historically no, I've, I haven't raced the density of seasons I used to but I used to plan big races but I loved on Thursday buying a flight for Friday morning it was one of my favorite things it fueled me the most and then suddenly you cram all your months into just one overnight and it's freeing. So I, I do get that piece. Now that I cannot do. Like I actually plan flights and like big details two months in advance. Like I need some kind of like stability. But you can detach then? You what can is that? book it and then move on and not worry about it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah, keep I like this whole year, this whole year I've like kind of kept an eye on things two months in advance and like, okay, I need to like 
I watch tickets because I'm trying to like do this slightly inexpensively. Um, so I like keep an eye on tickets and I'm always kind of thinking like two months in advance, which I think also kind of helps keep pressure off of what I'm doing immediately because I'm like, okay, well I have something two months down the road. Like I have plenty of other stuff. So like Mm -hmm. I'm excited for this weekend. Yeah. It's kind of a a little, but I, I cannot do the, okay. I say I can't, I highly prefer not to do like a last minute, like let's switch, let's go. Like I need, like I, there's some, there is some order to the chaos, I guess. Okay. Mm. I've, uh, I've talked to a lot. I'll let's say a lot on the podcast about like being a very big proponent of having a life outside of racing. And that's how you're going to be your best racer is like actually not being so invested that you hang on a, by a thread for every performance and good and bad day, right? You have something to equal you out. And you said that you're not as consumed as people may think. And on paper, of course, we would think you're consumed. It's all we think you do, right? And we have very specific questions um, in regards to some recovery and all, and, you know, how you got from race to race. But, like, just to set the stage a little bit, like, you travel, you race, and then you said you do other things that you like a lot more than racing. Those, I believe, were your words you just used five, ten minutes ago. Could you help me understand what maybe some of the things you do – in between to stay balanced are? Um, all summer long, I hit uh, a flat iron pretty much every week <clears throat> and at least one or two trails, just like out running on the trails. Either that or I'm a nanny. And so I did a lot of like peak, like the local peaks with my, over the summer with the two kids and now with just the one. Um, but I just like, I like to just be outside and like that's, I feel like that's, um, that's why I enjoy Spartan race. That's why I enjoy racing. Like that's what initially got me into it. But I always come back to like, I just like to be outside. Um, and then there were every weekend I was home. I hit as many 14ers as I could. I did, a, I think 20, just over 20 14ers this summer. And that was like, every time I like, I spend the whole day outside. Um, like that just like feeds my soul and like makes me happy. Um, And then other than that, like I am a nanny and I love being a nanny and I feel like, um, being involved in like little kids lives, like kind of takes, I, I really enjoy it. So I've had a great summer of like playing the kids for the most part. What does hitting a 14er look like? Um, I, I lived in Colorado for a few years. And so I do that with people and the experience was very different with every single type of person you go up there with. What does it mean to you to hit a 14er? What does your day look like? Um, I actually did most of them in like lumps. Um, so like, I, I, I mean, I guess anytime I have a free day, I just kind of look up a 14 or I haven't done. Um, I figure out how far to drive it is and I just drive out there, hike up, hike around and then run back down. Um, I did a lot of like stringing several together. And then there was, uh, one weekend I did like a whole backpacking trip through 11 of them. Um, and then, yeah, string together as many as I can. And, yeah, I just like to hike up, stay on top of the world for a little bit, and then fly back down the mountain. Is there an intensity piece to it, or is it purely whatever you feel like doing, you do? Whatever I feel like doing. It's nice when your uh, your hobbies do fuel your sport, right? Like the things that stoke your fire also benefit you on course. That's that's pretty cool. I, um, I have a, a side question about being a nanny now. Um my girlfriend was a nanny when I had met her and 
she's very involved with the kids and you know it feels like your own at times you get very close and invested and it's actually pretty great um but then you like i guess i'm wondering like how you balance that all like if the kiddos are relying on you and the parents to be back you have this schedule uh, of racing obviously you have some understanding parents i am uh, the children i imagine like how does that dynamic work how do you make it work i asked bracken the other day off mic i was like does Chris work? Like, how do, does she work? Like, how does she even, what, how does she keep a job? We say with all her adventuring is kind of what I said, like, explain that to me. Cause I'm curious. Um, <clears throat> well, when I, I started working for them, uh, in June and when I sat down for my interview with them, like talked a little bit. And then, uh, the mom actually said, she goes, I hope you don't think it's weird. Like I looked you up on social media. She goes, what exactly do you do? I was like, that's actually a great question. You're um, like, so I don't even know. <laughs> I don't There's know. There's not a term um, for it. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of like, they knew from the get-go that like, um, I do a lot outside of work. Um, she, um, they're really great. Like, they're a great family to work for. And every time she's like, every time she'll be like, so where are you going this weekend? I'm like, oh, you know, I'll be in New Jersey or wherever. She's like, you do you. Like, if that's what you like, you go. Um, my job is I work Monday through Thursday, um, and I work almost 40 hours in those four days. Um, so I always have Friday off. Um, I get back a lot of times very late Sunday night. Or if I'm the, on the East Coast, I can even fly back, like, Monday morning and still make to work by 830. Um, so I just, yeah, kind of work around that. Um, I have, like, paid time off, so I've cashed in on a few of those days. Um, and then other than that, yeah, I just show up to work and sometimes I'm limping around. Sometimes I have like cuts and gashes, but like kids are pretty forgiving and it works out. Okay. Not to jump right on. I can tell Bracken you want to ask something, but, um, okay. So you're telling me like you will do a hundred mile race. You will fly in late Sunday night or maybe early Monday morning. You will work 40 hours in four days somehow recover in quotes and then show up for your next race the following Saturday. And that is a cycle that you found yourself in, like literally skid into work, somehow pull it off and then do it again the next weekend. Yeah. And it's been the best routine ever. Um, the only problem is I found in the last like two months, I started sleeping more and running less. And I think that affected me negatively. Um, but other than that, like it has worked absolutely perfectly. So one of the big questions we get from people is I don't have room in my schedule to train because I work a full-time job and I have kids. Essentially that's what you have going on. So if you're working 10 hour shifts, what is your Monday through Thursday workout life training balance look like? Um, I always try to do something in the morning before I go into work. Um, lately I've been hitting workouts at the gym before that I was doing like flat irons or running a couple peaks, like the little local peaks, um, or just running, or I have like a group that I do sprint workouts with. Um, so I try to do something in the morning before work, What time? um, anywhere from four is like starting at four. I have to be at work at eight 30 most days. So, so whatever time it takes to get your first one in is when you start. Yep. Yep. I, That's yeah. very important for people to hear. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I get up at three. So I will say like, I think I'm pretty well conditioned for that. Having um, worked at the gym that I was working at for the past three years, um, where What's I the had stables to... prior couldn't have hurt. Do what? The stable work oh. prior to that had to be yes. early morning work. Actually. Too. Yes. That was my very first early morning long day work and it changed me as a person. Yeah. Um, but I had to, like my first class that I coached was at 4.30. And so I had to be up by 3.30 if I wanted to do anything before work, which I've always been like a morning person and I prefer morning things. Um, I would get up at 2 a.m. and get a run in. Um, we'd go down to the, like the bridge was our only hill there. So we'd get up at 2 and go run at the bridge for an hour, hour and a half. And then I'd go into work. Um, and I just kind of like, I, re- I mean, yeah, it just takes what it takes. And you have to be willing to do that. Um yeah, so I found I like much prefer getting up at like two to three to four AM than getting off of work and going doing something, even if it's at like six thirty or seven, like I would rather go to sleep about then. Um yeah, so the early morning works really well for me. Um so I do something in the morning before work. Um the kids, there's always nap time. Um I will say it is not the same as having your own kids um, because I do have that time in the morning. That is just my time. And, um, but yeah, I do like have the kids all day. Um, there's always a nap time or two. Um, and so I have like a sandbag that I keep in my car and a wall ball and a couple other things. And I always try to like throw something together. I've done a lot of like backyard something just to like get something in um, or I'll even do it with the kids. Like while the kids are playing in the backyard, like I'll do something. Um, yeah, so I do something during the day and then sometimes I'll do something in the evening, but I am not a night person and I like to go to sleep as soon as possible. So. What What is as soon as possible look like? Honestly, normally not early enough, but I can easily, I mean, I prefer to go to bed between like seven and eight. Okay. Sounds like the schedule I run. It's sad, but I love I it. think it's amazing. I feel like a 60 year old woman sometimes, but like, I think it's kind of the best life, like. Old people have it figured out, the whole going to bed early, getting up early thing. Yeah. I'll be on the couch. It'll be like 730, and I'll be like, what am I even doing here? Like, I can be in bed right now. And then it's like, I go to bed. It's sad. People are in my phone at like 8 p.m. looking for a response to tomorrow's workout, and they have a question, and they don't get it till the next morning because well, they can't yeah. fathom. I'm already in so, bed. You'll get it to them before they wake up. Um, it's I started... exactly true. I started playing uh, soccer on like a local team here and some of their games are at like 10 PM. And the first game that was at 10 PM, I like went home, got changed. I was going to like hang out for a bit. I passed out and completely slept past this game. So it has its downsides every once in a while. You you said um, uh, you've been sleeping more and running less, which may have hurt you. You said like, what a, you're telling me sleep is overrated or what do you, what do you, like, what does that mean? Like what happened before? Like, what does that, what did that look like? Like more sleep? I think, Why, that, first of all? And, I think it's a little bit What is of more like, sleep? Uh, I've been sleeping in some in the mornings. Like I got back from overseas, like really late Tuesday night and I slept in Wednesday morning instead of going to work out. And I've done that a couple of times, like Monday mornings when I get back. Um, which I think does not help anything. Um, it doesn't help me in the moment that much, like a couple extra hours of sleep, like sure, maybe, but it also does not help my coming weekend if I like start out the week lazy. So, um, 
I do, I've tried to see it as like, okay, well, sleep is good and sleep is good. And I read, I've read a lot on it and like nobody's getting enough sleep and it like permanently damages you. Um, I don't know if I'm just already permanently damaged, but I <laughs> think I run better on like a little bit of like survival. So like a little, like not quite enough sleep to where like I'm just kind of surviving is kind of how I run best. Like I'm more, I think I'm just more like, I don't know, like, um, I don't know. I feel more ready for workouts for the day for everything. If I'm like a little like exhausted and having to like put in a little extra effort to just keep moving. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just permanently what? ruined, but like that works better for me than like waking up well rested and like to, that almost like, I feel like my body like takes a breath and I do better a little bit like, like kind of revved, I guess. What is like a little like a typical sleep then look like for you? And I asked because like Bracken, I, I'd like like I had this picture of like what does Chris Roglowski do between her race weekends? And I was like, well, of course she gets back, she sleeps like ten hours a night, she oversaturates on food to create a surplus. She has very little training for a few days, sort of sharpens it once or twice, and then shows up in races. But a lot of my thought process is like she overeats and she sleeps a shitload. Like that's how I would do it. But that's not what I'm hearing. So what what are we talking about for sleep here? Um, like how many hours a night or? Yeah, sure. Um, I think six is kind of the golden number for me. Um, I can do four for a long time, but I get tired with four. Um, if I get any more than six, my body just kind of starts to like get sluggish. But I think six is kind of the perfect number. Um, yeah. I can't relate to that. But a lot of people feel that with tapering and deloading before races, where it really works for some people and other people just mm -hmm. can't get it right because they feel like crap when they taper and deload without getting the benefit. Like I generally feel sluggish when I deload before a race and then I'll race decently well. But some people don't get that second benefit to it. They feel like crap and then they feel like crap when they race. So some people just do better when they don't taper for a race. And so I could understand how sleep would work that way as well. I think there's something also to like, I sleep very well. When I sleep, I am like passed out, dead asleep and like dead to the world. Um, and I think when I start getting more sleep, I don't sleep as well because I'm like mm -hmm. more well rested, which is a good thing, but makes me like want or need sleep less. Yeah. So I think, I think that might be a little part of it too. Like running at a slight deficit makes like any sleep I get, like feels amazing, feels great. And I wake up from it feeling like a million bucks. Like that makes sense as well. Do you notice this, this down piece of your year historically? Is this one of those times where you feel like crap, but it's necessary? Like you need to get a week or a month towards the end of a big season in order to like, I'm going to sleep more. I feel like crap, but then I'll be able to get back to maintain for another 10 months after, or is this just coincidence? Um, no, I hit that. Like I hit it a little bit in October. And then again, like last month where I kind of like got sick. Um, and that like I needed the sleep and I needed the rest. Um, as long as I'm not sick, I don't ever enjoy or need sleep. Okay. Yeah, you, but I was um, sick for like the last three weeks and thought I was maybe going to die. Um, so that was necessary. 
Even in Abu Dhabi? No, I was sick um, right after WTM. No, by Abu Dhabi, I'm better. But uh, or mm. I was better. I was sick right after WTM. So for DECA and Thanksgiving, I was like out. Mm. Um, okay, well, now that just brought up another thing I wanted to ask you about. I don't want to sidetrack myself further, but I'm going to now. And Bracken, we had this discussion, I think it was on Race Brain, about traveling and acclimating and then like being ready to pound even if you're 12 hours ahead or behind and not getting used to the new time zone. Um, I could be wrong, but you don't seem to be somebody who gets to every place super early. Um, no. Again, maybe I'm wrong, but you got a job, right? So like, what do you have a, a protocol for that, like traveling and racing and adjusting? Or do you just, is that part of the adventure for you? And it's just like, if I couldn't sleep all night before the race, so be it, I'll still show up and hammer. Like, how do you go about it? Uh, Definitely the latter. Um, in Abu Dhabi, I think my theory has always been on jet lag. Like the reason people have a hard time is because they're like, oh, I'm tired. And they will look and like, oh, well, it's midnight back at home. So that explains why I'm tired. Like, but my, like, I try to like mentally, like, as I'm getting somewhere, I try to like adjust for that time I'm going to be in. And then once I'm there, like I'm in that time. So if it's awake time, like it's awake time. If it's sleep time, I'm out. Um, and that's always worked great for me where like, doesn't really affect me. Like, I feel like I'm able to just kind of show up and like, um, I always try to stay like on plane, like I try to sleep as much as I can on planes. Um, and then I try to stay like super hydrated and I've heard those like help with any kind of jet lag. Um, but Abu Dhabi, it hit me <laughs> very badly. Um, I think I slept only three hours for like three nights in a row there. And, uh, yeah, I just like couldn't sleep and was just wired the entire time. And I never even like got tired throughout the day. I think my body was just a little bit, um, but that's the only time that I've had an issue with like, I don't know, most of the time I do fine with like adjusting to different times, whatever. Um, which again, I think is cause my body's kind of constantly out of whack. Like it doesn't have a super set routine or anything regular. So that's what I tell it at least is like, look, nothing's ever regular. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what's a 12 time, 12 hour time difference, whatever. What was the time difference for Greece for you? Greece, I think was eight hours. Okay. Was 12 the farthest you've gone? Um, well, Abu Dhabi was only 11. I've done 12. Um, my parents live in Thailand, so I've done 12 a couple times there. Oh, so this wasn't um, a new stimulus. You've, you've handled it before. You just got yeah. unlucky. And actually my favorite thing about this 11 to 12 hour thing is that like, the amount of, I don't like being on my phone very much. And so the amount of, uh, like by the time you wake up, everybody's asleep. So nobody's trying to text you, call you, email you, like nothing's happening. And so like, you just get to go and then like you go to sleep and while you're sleeping, everybody can do whatever they want. And it doesn't like, I'm out. Mm. Um, so I actually kind of like the 11 to 12 hour time difference. Able to just kind of like disconnect. Do you think, um, Okay. Do you think you would have raced any differently if you had gotten square sleep before Abu Dhabi, which was the recent Spartan Race World Championships? Or do you firmly believe, like, it don't matter? Like, it the result matter. is the result? You don't think it would have mattered? No, you really don't? You no. truly believe in your heart of hearts it wouldn't have mattered? Truly, absolutely. Yeah, not at all. I don't think I could say that. Could you say that, Bracken? Like, I'd be like, I'd be a little B about it, probably. Like, I'd be, I wouldn't publicly make a race excuse, of course, but if it didn't go well, I'd be like, this has to be. 
it or I know I could have done better on more sleep. You think your body I, does what it is told, as I say, does what it is told. Yeah. I slept from the night before I slept from like 11 to two. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up and I was awake. Um, I finally got up and I went and like ran several miles and then I like swam around in the pool and it was just kind of like, I, like I'm up now. Um, I did sleep. I took like an hour long nap and woke up from that feeling like, all right, let's go. And like, I felt fine. Like that was definitely not, it could have factored into it some, but I think I was more tired from like WTM going into DECA. I think that affected my body more than any kind of time change has. That'd be the only thing we're like totally in sync about. I believe that most people, uh, the moment their sleep goes wrong, they allow the excuse to exist. And I believe personally, just myself having had some of my best races after some of the worst travel um, and watching other people do the same thing. I think that if you're in the zero to two, two and a half hour time range, sleep does not matter at all outside of mentally. And then maybe longer than 10 hours. I think between two and a half, three, and right around 10, what you got leading up to it will impact you in the second half of the race because you start to break down. And if you're going longer than 10, 12, well, you're going to break down anywhere as who cared. But under three, I think that sleep's not necessary, especially if you want to get by on stimulants. Not that that's the way people need to do it, but if you load up enough caffeine, what you did the night before or three nights before, I really don't think it matters. And I think people except like, oh, I feel so terrible. My race is going to be bad rather than just saying like, whatever, if I'm up, I'm up. I'm still going to smash. I will say uh, I went into my uh, Wasatch 100 back in September on not enough sleep at all. And it very much affected that one. So yes, Mm -hmm. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked until 5.30 Thursday night, flew to Salt Lake City, slept in the airport for about three hours and then started running Friday morning. And caffeine wouldn't even cut it. Like I could buy Friday night, Friday night. I was not having a good time. Um, That was a rough one. And I completely, I definitely credit the lack of sleep. I agree with that. Those rules, Bracken. More when you said three days, like I think you can get literally no sleep or a half an hour sleep the night before the race and be completely fine for a short race. I'm talking like when you say you traveled and you got like three hours of sleep multiple nights in a row, that's where I'm like, at some point, like it just wins. Like, yeah, one night, no big deal. That's not an excuse. But when you start stacking them up, that's a tough deal. I also Um, think that I, I do want to chat just a little more about that because I think it's one of those common ailments people struggle with. And I've struggled with it as well. Like the most recent trip to Ireland, for whatever reason, I'm typically the same way. When I raced in... Dubai both times I got there the day before and one of them was a horrible experience. I still raced all right. And the other one, it worked out fine and I raced okay until I didn't. But this most recent time going to Ireland, it just rocked me. I could not sleep. I was up all night over and over. And so I'm a victim of it too. But I think that, that there are, once you're up and going, your body stops caring about it until it needs it again. But your mind can't let it go for some people. And I think maybe maybe you've already trained that out of you. But I think some people, many people who deal with this, and we get it all the time in our race recaps from our athletes, like, well, you know, looking back, of course, I was going to have a bad race. I had terrible sleep. 
it's kind of like, yeah, but did your body remember the bad sleep at the start line? Or did you come up to the start line telling your body you had bad sleep? Because once you're up and moving, most of the time you're fine until you're not. And I think too many people allow the until you're not to be your resting baseline. And that's not science. That's just a personal belief I have. But I think you can fake it until you make it more than people realize in this specific instance. I agree. But you talked your genetically predispositioned to do this lifestyle. That might be one of your genetic gifts is you can exist on this. Possibly. I think I've trained that more than just naturally. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I'm just naturally like physically able to go run a hundred miles better than some other people. Um, But I think the whole lifestyle I've definitely adapted to um, over the past like four years. Do you want to still talk about sleep? Bracken? No, I just wanted to get on the soapbox one minute and, because we had a lot of people come back and say the rate, the sleep killed me. Yeah, it did. Oh, a lot of people. But it may not have had to. And the other difference is the age groupers ran the beast, the full 13, 14 miles. And at that point, your past three hours, your last hour there could have absolutely been affected by sleep. Yeah, I Different would not stories. have liked to do that long of a distance. The 10K was, was doable. So, but, but just as a reminder to people that your body will listen to what you tell it about how much your sleep's going to affect you, I believe. So just drive that through your head in the off season. Definitely. Your body will listen to a lot of things your mind tells it, and they're not always true. Mm. They're normally not. The body does what it is told. I do believe that. Um I guess real sidebar quick, uh, a real quick sidebar. Would you would you encourage people to go to Abu Dhabi? Was it a worthwhile experience? Uh, rumor has it it'll be there again next year. Do you or do you not think it was worth the trip? Be honest, if you could. So um, a lot of people asking themselves that question right now. It was worth it for me, but for reasons other than the race. I had a great time, like touristing some. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would go back though. Um, well, no, I probably. I probably would. I did not enjoy the sand running at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it wouldn't, like, I wasn't, like, scared of it or, like, apprehensive about it. But, like, I guess I noticed it, like, running, like, it's just hard to run in sand. And I settled into it and felt fine. Um, but every once in a while, we'd hit, like, a slightly more, like, gravel patch where there was actually something besides road, or, sorry, besides sand. And running on that, like, I instantly felt so much better. And then you hit the sand again and it was just a slog. Like I did not enjoy it. And I don't know if I was just doing it wrong or if that's just how it feels, but it was like not fun at all. Hitting the road every once in a while, I was like, oh, I can still run. And then you get back to the sand and you're like, am I running at all? Like, yeah, it was, I did not enjoy it. Um, But I climbed a... Well, I did something kind of illegal, but it was very much like, it was a lot of fun. So (laughs) the wrong place to do something illegal. I did all right. I heard, so apparently Abu Dhabi or like, they're more, I know I was worried about like maybe losing some limbs or something. Um, but it's only a problem if you get caught and I didn't get caught. So I did. Are you going to tell us what you did? I maybe climbed a crane up like 30 stories. (laughs) It was really fun. What? Why? Because <laughs> oh, it's the highest. It's one of the best views in the city. Like everybody's got like their hotel patios and pools and whatever. But like there's taller things all around. That crane was one of the tallest things 
in that city. And it was just a, you know, little climb up the ladder all the way up. It was really cool. What vision of little young Chris, that little kind of <laughs> shit eating grin on her face. Like I didn't know I couldn't do it. There were no signs <laughs> that said no trespassing. So. I will say that Abu Dhabi, Dubai, that area is kind of like a snow globe. It's just, it's isolated from everything around it, and it's a fantasy world. I think it's worth seeing one time. The race might I've, just suck, but there's I've never seen a more unique place in my life. I felt that way about bizarre. Dubai. Dubai was, like, next level. Um, we None walked around there sense. on Sunday. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi, I felt like, was a little more, like kind of like wow like the rules don't really apply like you just kind of do whatever um dubai was a very like yeah it was like just huge everything was very like huge and overwhelming and like really cool like a lot of really neat things to see you don't have the uh lake tahoe experience i don't believe you've never run a world championship there correct nope, so i don't know if there. you have a yeah i don't know if you have a good ex- uh comparison here but did abu dhabi feel like a world championship to you and I would ask in comparison to the old, we'll say, which would be Tahoe, which is quite an experience, to be honest. Um, did it feel like a world championship? No, felt like a little run in the it, desert somewhere. Um, but I like okay. I've been at like OCRWC and at um, Greece, and both of those felt a lot more like a world championship than. Whatever. Okay, that's how you it came across. I would say is, in video, yeah, it can't be fabricated. There's a crackle in the air at those big events that just feels mm-hmm. different. I'm assuming WTM had it. Y- yes. WTM was kind of a run in the swamp. Like, this was a run in the desert. That was a run in the swamp. But it, like, I don't know. I don't think there was a lot of international representation there. Um, mm. But it felt like a big event, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, though, that, like, Leadville felt way bigger. Mm. I don't know, like, that's kind of on a different scale. But, like, Leadville was probably actually the race that, like, felt the biggest and, like, coolest to me this year. Um, I think part of that is um, at mile, like, 40 and 60, you run through this town, and it's literally, like, a mile running through town, and everybody's crews are there, and the streets are just lined with people. And I've never experienced that anywhere else. Like, it was really crazy to just, like, people everywhere, and you just run through town. Yeah, 40, 60 miles mm-hmm. into race. Um, I think that's right where uh, go, go Ian ahead. Floyd is. We just mm-hmm. e- interviewed Ian Floyd last. I think he's right there. He, uh, yes, in uh, Twin Lakes, which is the town. Yep, yeah. Twin Lakes. Yeah. So you brought up another race other than OCR, which is exactly what I wanted to get to here, um, is Chris Reglaski's timeline of the year. Now, maybe this will take forever for you to get through, but what I wanted you to actually do to the best of your memory is walk us through January through now to give people the understanding of what you did and what you accomplished. And then we have, I have a bunch of follow-up questions in regards to all sorts of things along the way. But for people to understand the sheer scale of your year, you said you counted how many races or race weekends you did. What is that number, Chris? I think it was 46 races and 36 race weekends. You would be a coach's nightmare. You raced more often than you did. Do do I what? You raced more often than you didn't. 
Yes, thankfully. I like it. So you said 40-some races and 30-some race weekends. Yes. Um, and still managed to hold down a full-time job, although some mm -hmm. flexibility, you held that down. Able to afford Hit all the 20, nice. 2014ers, two weddings. Yeah. Wait, so you uh -huh. raced 32 uh -huh. times and you did 2014ers. I raced 36 times. 36 times and 2014ers. There's 21 of them. Two of those were like capped on either end of Leadville. So it was like a race weekend and 14ers, um, which I did a couple times. But that And I hit the tallest point in New Hampshire. Congratulations. Way to go. <laughs> how, how tall is that? Uh, I think it might be 8,000, maybe. Okay. Or else it's 4 or 6. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um, so why don't you do this, okay, for me? I just want you to do your best to walk us, even if you just want to touch on the highlights or if you think you're like Rain Man over there and you can just get through every single one. But like, what uh, what did the year look like? Break it down for us, uh, if you could, as far as Chris Roglowski's 2022 race schedule. I started with a 100-miler over New Year's. I've done that for the past like three years. And that's, yeah, so 100-miler over New Year's. Yes, that's my partying. Um, miler over New Year's. Um, I think two weekends later, I did DecaFit, which was actually my time that got me into the DecaFit World Champs. Um, the weekend after that was Chicago, uh, or sorry, High Rocks US Champs. Um, and then I think I rolled from that into like two weeks after that, I had another 100 miler. Technically North American Champs. I don't know if they're calling it North American Champs. Last year they did, so you can okay. add that to your list. Okay, sorry. North Just American a bigger Champs. title. It's important. Okay, mm. we'll go North American Champs. Um, I did another 100-miler the first weekend of February. Um, I think I might have done a local event later on in February, a local, just a little OCR. Um, mm. March, I did Savage Race. And then I think the following weekend was the first race of the Spartan Series. Um, but I did a little local race like the day before, then did the National Series. Um Makes total sense. Weekend. Yeah. yeah, you can't miss the local events. And if like nope. if the if the series race is on a Sunday, you've got that Saturday open. Like you gotta put something there. Free. You can do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> I might have done something else in March, but I know the last weekend of March was um I did like an ultra weekend where it was like a fifty K, a fifty miler, and then a twenty K throughout the whole weekend. Um we roll into April. Which which two were on the same day? Or was it Friday, Saturday, Sunday? It was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. easy then. Cake. Yeah, that's super, mm -hmm. super fun. Cake. Um, mm -hmm. I won every, every um, like I won every day. And every day, like whoever wins gets like a big growler of beer. So I got like a bottle of beer that I handed out to people every time. Um, but it was a really mm -hmm. fun race. And it's my first time doing like a multi-day ultra-ish thing. So that was fun. Um I think the weekend before that maybe was a Spart or a um, Savage Series and a local Spartan combo. And then I finished out with that. Um, April was Dallas, was High Rocks again. Um, and then I moved to Colorado and did a 50K and then go Rec Games. That was April. Um, May was another Savage and then High Rocks World Champs. And another Spartan series. 
And then I think I had. That was the same a... weekend. That was Saturday, Sunday. Yes. Just so <laughs> everyone understands. You won a world championship. I'm already. Saturday and then went to a national series the next morning. A state away. Just one state. Just one state. Not even a time zone. I'm already losing track of all these. That's a, this is what I wanted to happen was for my mind to get j- jumbled. So it's working, but continue. I want for the sake of this, I want you to continue. Um, I think the next weekend was another Savage series and then local Spartan race. Um, and then the last weekend was a um, smaller OCR race out in Chicago, Illinois area, somewhere in there. Um, June, I had a hundred miler and then the next Spartan series race. Which is Mexico, right? At elevation. Yes, Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, You went out hot in that one. I felt amazing. Even though I was like literally held together by tape. Actually, the transition between that 100 miler and that race was like the one I'm most impressed by. Um, Because I got back from that 100 miler and I could hardly walk. Like I was dragging my leg through the airport Sunday night. I showed up to work Monday morning and like could barely walk upstairs like... I was pretty broken after that one. Um, the only running I did that week was like two miles on Thursday just to like make sure I could actually run. Um, yeah. And then I got up to Mexico ready to go. Um, June. I don't really know what was the rest of June. I think I had another, maybe another Savage Race. Um, July was a 14er weekend. Then Utah, Utah, uh, sorry, um, a Spartan series race. The next weekend was a hundred miler. And then I think I had two weeks off. I had a family wedding one week. And it was technically a week off, but I did like a deck a mile the next morning. So it's kind of still a race weekend. Um, it's still a race. <laughs> and then, um, that was July, August. I had like a local event back in Texas. I had, I don't know what I did. I think I just played around for a weekend. Um, and might have rolled right from that into another 100 miler and then another Spart- well, Spartan North American Championships. Um, September was a. Was that Leadville? Yes, Leadville was at the end of August. <laughs> another 100 miler. Leadville yeah. took top 10. Yes. Um, Were you sixth? I was seventh. Seven, the seven. lowest I had finished before this past weekend was seventh in any race. Um, I finished seventh, I think twice. So was that your fifth hundred miler at that point? Um, yes. Five. And what were your, what was your placing in the hundred milers? Um, I got third, fifth, seventh, and sixth. Okay, so you're not participating; you're racing these. I think that's yeah. important for people. By the race. summer, mm-hmm. yes. So seventh um, at Leadville. One week later, you did Spartan North American Championships in Canada. Yes. Um, next weekend was a backpacking weekend and then I did another hundred miler. Um, <laughs> what, what, what I'm hoping is that our listeners at this point are actually kind of like tuning you out because it proves my point. <laughs> right. We're almost <laughs> done. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's what I was exactly hoping that would happen. It's like, how many hundred miles is that? It's like, it's just absolutely ridiculous, Chris. It's amazing. It finish. Kind of finish. No, I want you to finish. Um, Continue. I you slipped like, a 600 miler in there because you had a free weekend. No, that was the final of my oh, that was the... final of my grand slam. And what did yeah. you take? 
Uh, I got sixth there. Yeah, that was my one. Did it I really? kind of crashed and burned. Do you remember there was a point... Bracken... Hold on. Sorry. Do you remember when Bracken on Race Brain said, yeah, like, yeah, Chris has run a number of 100 milers, but she never won one. And that was his justification about you not being able to win WTM. Do you remember right. that? And how did that, that go? Didn't, that didn't put his face on the dartboard for, for you? I got you there oh. on, on, on fire. Oh, that's what did it. Yep. That's what you're, did you're it. You're welcome. Yep. Couldn't have done it without you. Nothing to do with you. you <laughs> Thank you, Note, but I accept it. Well, I was gonna. I was ready to fight you at the finish line. Where were you? I could have absolutely, absolutely fought you at that finish line, and you would not have had a chance. See, this is the thing. You're loosely tethered to reality, and it's such a strength. <laughs> You're not. Like, when you say things, you say <laughs> the audience can't see you smiling right now and laughing, which is too bad. But the way you say it makes me believe that you believe it and then i start to think like maybe it is real and that, that's that's a powerful maybe skill to have um yeah no and that's what i think like mentally like genetically i kind of have it going for me physically i've put in some work in time but like mentally i feel like i there's actually a line i read like i think at the end of last year maybe um that like really kind of I've thought about it every hundred miler, honestly, almost every race since then. Um, and it's just a little, I think it's a little haiku, haiku, however you say that. Um, and it's, um, no, maybe it's just a little, I don't know, but I, I read it somewhere and it's strong legs, unbeatable mind and no distance too far. And I tell myself that a lot, like I'm strong. I'm not the strongest, like, you know, I, whatever, but I have an unbeatable mind and there's literally no distance too far. Like I can go forever. Like, so yeah. Um, so pick up after your, your sixth ultra. Yes. Well, it's well, not six ultra, ultra. 600 <laughs> miler of the year. And we're not Get starting it. to sniff fall now. Well, wait, well, now how many ultras did you do? If you include anything 50 K or over, I guess, what would that, come um, from? I did two 50 Ks and a 50 miler. Okay. So you'd be at like nine or 10, yeah. 10, something like that. Okay. Um, you barely uh, ran an ultra per month. That was kind of the goal. <laughs> That was, yeah, that was actually kind of the goal. Um, May, no, April, the 50K that I did, I did with my friend, and it was her first 50K. And it kind of felt a little bit like cheating. Like, was that, like, really a 50K? Because I was, like, running with her. Um, But I was like, it still counts. That was my ultra for April. So I got an ultra every month. Um, Except for October. Really slipped up in October. Yeah. Anyway, so after the last 100 miler, then I had a weekend off, and then it was OCRWC, and then it was a um, Legend of the Falls, is like a CrossFit-ish competition of the following weekend. Then I had just a local race. I had a weekend off. I had maybe, oh, um, I had a horse ultra the next weekend. <clears throat> I don't know if, oh, that might count as an ultra. There's my October ultra. A horse 50 ultra? miles on a horse. Yep, 50 miles on a horse. So it was that weekend. And How then, did that leave you physically compared to a regular 50 miler? Um, very sore and rubbed raw in very different places. Um, like I could have run 50 miles the next day, but I could not have ridden 50 miles the next day. Okay, I could have, but I would have not preferred it. Yeah, it was a, actually, I hadn't ridden really, I'd only ridden once in the past, like, six months and 
there's definitely like, I didn't forget how to ride, but I kind of forgot how to ride long distance. And I didn't really remember until about like 30 miles in. And so I was in a little bit of pain after that. All right, noob question. Do they make riding pants like they make cycling shorts where you have extra padding in your sit bone area and places like that? Or do you just throw on some chaps and get it done? I just wear jeans. They do make riding pants that have reinforcement like on your inner thighs, which is a very important spot. Um, and then also, yes, yeah, somewhere around the, um, around the back of the pants. I'm not, I, I used to, when I rode like a little more formally, I had a couple pairs, but I find jeans much more comfortable. They do make something for that. Would you have done that if you could go back? Uh, no, I would have remembered how to ride sooner. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, after that um, was Battle Bunker. Uh, yeah, a one-off competition. And then we had Greece. And then, was it WTM right after that? Yeah, Greece, then WTM, World Service Matter. Um, and then DECA World Champs, a weekend off, Barton World Champs. And then this weekend is High Rocks LA. That's it. Mm, that's it? And then you're going to take it. three weeks from comp- competition off? Ten the year? Uh, Actually, well, yeah, so I guess I'm running like a bunch over New Year's, but that's just like one mile. So I'm actually, I think it's like almost eight weeks. So Good for you. You're doing the year 100 over New Year's? I'm just going to do 50 miles. I'm running yeah. on two different yeah. relay teams to get. <laughs> two different relay teams in the same race? Yeah. Okay. Of course. So, okay. So of all your races, how many world championship events did you compete in throughout the year and list them off specifically so that's a great question are we are we talking about like nor, including north american sure it's called Cause... national regional and world mm-hmm. championships yeah so we're just talking world no mm-hmm. let's do national champs regional and world champs okay. everything that had the word championship in it okay so yeah. first we had um north american high rocks champs uh, High Rocks World Champs, uh, Spartan North American Champs, DECA Fit World Champs, Greece World Championship, or Trifecta World Championship, um, and Spartan World Championship. World Does WTN count? Oh, OCRWC. <laughs> and World's Seven. Toughest Mudder. That's World's eight. Toughest Mudder, yeah. It'd be eight. So almost every month and a half you were participating in a, in a championship event. And all of those were all over the board. Yeah. Right? Of all of your races this year, um, you have to pick three that you're the most proud of. I'm not giving you an out here. I love them all. I think you can do this. Top three, what are your proudest moments of 2022? High Rocks World Champs. Um, OCRWC. So she won. She yes. won the High Rocks World Champs in an improbable, most would say, victory. Very improbable. Um, OCA, I didn't, I didn't what believe place it. did you take there? Uh, second, by 40 seconds. And I've never felt that strong or that good running that distance before. Like, it, yeah, it was one of my best races ever. Um, I think the other one I would go with is probably Vermont 100. Um, because I like 
ran myself back into hell. So that felt really good. Like that's mentally and physically. Mentally, sure. Physically, that's not a thing. So explain it. Well, so the weekend sorry, sorry. before. To the rest of the world, that's not a thing. So let's hear how it works in your world. The <laughs> weekend before, um, I after Utah race, I went running. I did. Um, I ran a couple peaks, and I tripped and fell and hit my knee. And my knee, um, I don't know what happened to it because I didn't really get it checked out. But I think I might have, like, injured my kneecap somehow to where, um, like, there's still kind of this weird crease on my kneecap. Um, but it blew up. I got like a, like one of my bursa, like mm-hmm. a bursa. Popped a bursa sack. Yes, that. Yeah. So I had like this enormous lump on my knee. Um, and I was supposed to run a hundred mile the next weekend. So the, for the first like two or three days, I thought it was just like inflammation. And so I was like, I seen it like it'll go away. By the other day, I like actually like looked at it and I realized my knee joint feels just fine. There's just like this pocket of fluid. Um, I Googled it and Google says like, it'll likely go away in two to eight weeks. Um, and I kind of, I needed to do this next hundred mile because it's part of this series, but I went into it thinking, I don't know that I will make it even like 10 miles, 20 miles. Um, and I hadn't, I mean, I, yeah, I hadn't run much leading into it because I was just trying to let my knee heal. Um, and I was very, I I come away with a lot of injuries from the last hundred miler I did. So my hundred miler confidence was at like an all time low. I kind of was like, maybe I'm just like not able to do it. I'm breaking myself, whatever. Um, started out. And, um, as the race went on, I felt better and better. Like obviously mentally I got confidence back, but Physically, like I felt better as I ran, which I think was mentally affected because I was mentally feeling better. So you automatically like physically feel better as well. But I finished that and um, it was my fastest hundred miler ever. And I just felt great the entire time. Um, And yeah, so that was, I finished that and like, obviously like felt on top of the world. I slept for a couple hours and then went hiking the next day and felt zero effects of having run an ultra. Like I think a lot of it too, was it being at like a lower elevation? My lungs didn't get as hurt as they do higher up. So I didn't even have, cause a lot of times I'll finish with like an ultra cough where I'm like, my lungs are shot and I like, I just sound terrible, whatever. Um, but this one, like I finished feeling great. And like the next day I did like this eight mile hike up to the top of Mount Washington and like, I feel good. Bombed down the hills and was like, this is it. Like, I was back in the 100 miler game physically and mentally. And so I was like, that was a huge win for me. What was your time? 21 50. Yeah. Maybe. How much vert? 17K. <laughs> and still bombed. You don't pick easy 100s on the next day. This was the easy 100. <laughs> Um, it was very, like, it was rolling hills. So it was really fun. And we were running at the same time as horses. Like there were horses doing the hundred miler as well. So we're kind of like going back and forth with horses. It's just really fun, really enjoyable. I don't know if I've ever been able to run downhill the day after a race with more than 4k of vert. You did 17,000 feet of up and down and you ran downhill the next day. That's, that's where the genetics come in because I... Like I can always run 
as fast as I can down a hill, no matter what. Um, the you day after Leadville. Yeah. I don't get sore like that. <laughs> like once I start running, like yeah. I feel fine. The day after Leadville, we went and did Mount Sherman, which is a 14er. And I was a little winded going up because I was at a lot of elevation. Um, but coming back down, I was like, this is great. Let's go. Wow. And what does um, Leadville have for vert? Uh, Leadville, I think it's uh, right at 20. 20. So 20,000 feet of downhill over the previous 24 hours. Up and down. Uh, it's 20 feet of up, which I guess is 20 feet of down. Also yeah. 20,000 down. <laughs> there it is. I, I'm, I'm no mathematician, but I got that one. I <laughs> that's, why, that one. that's why I questioned you. I had to question you. <laughs> and then you could run downhill the next day. Yeah. I've actually also found that um, I have my best, like, peaks, hikes the day before a big race. So the day before Leadville, I went and did um, Mount, one of the 14ers there. Um, and on the way down, I got a crown for a section of the downhill, uh, on the way down from that one. So, um, I had that too. Like I did some hiking before Canada and got a random crown. So hiking, you don't get crowns by hiking in case you're, well, this was running down. I only get crowns by running down. (laughs) All right. So I, I look at this and I look at it through my lens which is you race 36 weekends, what, 40, 46 races, whatever foolishness you said that was. There's no time, from my perspective, for training blocks. So the only thing you could do, in my mind, would be to string out common threads throughout the year and work on things sequentially over the long term. The 20,000-foot view, you look down, like, oh, yeah, look at all that work. But you'd look at any one week and realize there's as much recovery as anything. You would have to just string it out. I was going to say, this is the 2022 training block. Yeah, a 2022 (laughs) training block. A, is that what you did? And B, if whether you did or whether you didn't, what were the commonalities throughout the year so that you were able to pivot from race type to race type without implosion? Um, I definitely see it as like an ongoing thing. Like I don't, I'm no athlete. Like I don't understand, or I'm not a trained athlete. Um, I don't understand the whole like blocks and building up to stuff. Like I do a little something every week and then I mostly have a lot of fun. Um, every week I try to get at least two solid, like strength slash and they're kind of like high roxy workouts in. Um, so I do like two solid workouts. I run every day and I try to do sprints once a week, like running fast once a week. And that kind of does it for me. Um, of course on the weekends I'm running a hundred miles. So that's like, or I'm racing, like I'm getting in plenty of like, I mean, that's my quality work is my races. Um, and then I just carry that into the next week. Um, yeah, so I think that's part of why I like try to just like get back to normal life as soon as possible. It is just back to normal and like I mean, gonna get in a couple workouts, um, and then get ready for the next weekend. If you wanted, if you could be specific, like just give me one one example. We don't, you don't need to give away the secret or non-secret sauce because um, I don't think there is any. But um, like between let's say Greece and WTM, was that the week later? So you did three races in a row, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
and then you had five days before you had to go race what you ended up making 100 miles like what would that look like actually like a week like that um i think i got back what what were you doing in there so Greece was actually like a fantastic recovery because when you fly back from overseas, you get like a whole extra day. So I got like mm. three eight-hour segments <clears throat> of sleep throughout that like Sunday through Monday. I slept probably like 16 hours during like the travel. And then I got home Monday night and went to bed for the night. Um, I woke up Tuesday morning and I think I hit my workout. Um, so you took Monday off. You raced three days in a row, took Monday well, off traveling. so it was a travel day. Yeah, right, right. back on Monday. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, Monday was totally off. I was a sleep day. Like, I slept a lot. Um, Tuesday morning, I went and did my, like, I did a functional fitness workout. Um, Tuesday evenings, I do, like, a longish run. Um, Wednesday morning, I do a sprint workout, and I go run on a trail. I do, like, an hour on a trail. Uh, Thursday morning... So Tuesday and Wednesday are double days, basically. You worked out twice. You had a big race weekend. You took one day off due to travel. Then you doubled on Tuesday, doubled on Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, like, I moved twice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's called doubling, I believe. Oh. You're muted, Bracken. One of which was a sprint workout, and the other which was an hour on the trail. That was yes. one of your days. Yeah, I'm just making yes, sure. Wednesday. Okay. Um, Thursday did another functional fitness workout. Um, Thursday, I think I packed and then Friday morning I dipped out for Pensacola. Did you run on Friday? Uh, yes. I ran around the course a little bit, but like, I don't, I don't need to do like a shakeout run or a anything like that. Uh, ran around, tried a couple of the obstacles that you were allowed to, like they had like their hot lap the day before. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Saturday like, morning, really, I tried. I mean, Saturday morning, I tried on my oh, suits for the first time to make sure they fit, and to figure out what I wanted to wear throughout the next night. Uh, and then I was ready. What would you wow. have done if they didn't fit? What was the backup plan? Um, I had a several options. Um, actually, the the top that I ordered off of Amazon did not fit, so I just wore like a long sleeve shirt and a like neoprene vest. Um, I had several options, so I figured something would work. And if nothing worked, I had like, I have a waterproof jacket that I wear for a bunch of ultras and I knew that fit. So I had at least one thing that for sure was going to work. What jacket is that? We, people always asked about waterproof jackets. It is a, um, I can see, uh, outdoor research and it's just like a waterproof shell. Um, I did not have a waterproof jacket until like last year when I ran a race where it rained for 12 hours and I realized my jacket that I had worn is like water resistant was not at all waterproof. And I borrowed my friend's jacket and it was an outdoor research. So that week I went and bought an outdoor research jacket. I was just telling my mom so yesterday you... about outdoor research. I think they're the truth. I I would agree. So really you didn't recover that much. I mean, really you took a day off after racing three days, which makes sense. And you were traveling and then you, you pretty much, I mean, I'm sure you kept some of those efforts in check, but you just went right back to moving your body. There was no secret sauce I, to the recovery. Absolutely you just went not. right back to it. Movement is medicine. In motion stays in motion. Yeah. That too. Yes. Those are literally the two things mm-hmm. I say. After mm-hmm. Leadville, I went to, I was going to a CrossFit gym for a couple of weeks and like uh, Leadville finished like Sunday, did a 14er, drove back Sunday night. Monday morning, I went to this CrossFit gym and the owner was there. 
And she, I was like, oh, I just recently moved here. And she's like, oh, how are you acclimating to that uh, the elevation? I was like, oh, well, I was actually like just up at elevation like all weekend. She goes, I said I was up in Leadville. She goes, oh, you were at the race. Like watching, I was like, well, I ran it. And she's like, you're here? And she's like, did you finish? Like, yeah, I got to move my body around some or I will just like lock up and probably die. So, <laughs> so say it again. What's your phrase? Um, movement is medicine and a body in motion stays in motion. Um, and those are like 100% true. Like just sitting on a couch hurts you way more in any context than getting up and moving around. Um, yeah, I normally until like this year, I started like hiking the day after. And that is has been fantastic. But back like when I was in Texas and I'd finish an ultra by the end of that day, I would go and like try to walk slash shuffle slash end up jogging a mile just to like. I like to just remind my body, like, no, you're actually fine and you can still move. Like, just get over it. And then I sleep really well, get up the next day, ready to go. We did an episode on Tuesday and it was just all about strength training principles for runners. And the big emphasis was why do runners need to lift? What are you trying to accomplish? And the gist of it was basically, it's not necessarily going to make you faster, but it's going to make you more durable and able to handle the things that are going to allow you to become faster or fade less or crap less. Go ahead. That is absolutely key to where I am today. When I first started getting into any of this, um, the gym I started going to down in Texas, great fitness. Um, I literally, I went there because like right after I'd done a couple races and they were starting a protein and I was like, that seems cool. I went there and I literally told the owner that day, I was like, look, I'm doing all right at this, but I don't know what I'm doing. And from there, like being at that gym for three years, um, the three things, well, the three things that I learned like all together and from the start over the past three years were strength. I was doing strength, basic strength workouts every day. Um, mobility. I have spent a lot of time on like mobility, stretching, rolling, like taking care of your body. Um, and then running, I learned how to run. Um, mm -hmm. so I think all three of those like happened at the same time. And I think that is absolutely, if there's any secret sauce. Like it's those three at the same time that have gotten me to where I am. Yeah. And that, that's where I was going with this, which is, so this morning I did my first hybrid workout in months. I'm coming off of rehab. I did sled pushes, hand overhead sled pull, walking backwards sled pulls, weighted lunges, and stationary burpees. And every place that it lit up on my lower body is a place that I've cramped at some point in a long race in my life. Every single one of those places. So doing that type of work, would it make me any faster as a 5K runner? Absolutely not. But it would instantly make me a better ultra runner in that it would delay the onset of cramps or get rid of them altogether. And what I'm hearing from you is that the thing you've done most throughout the year consistently, other than running every day, is hybrid style training twice per week, almost every single week. Where does it make you faster? No. But if, again, if there was a piece that could explain some of your lack of breakdown in races, you might have the strongest hips calves, knees, lower back of all the ultra runners you go up against if you're and doing I, that much hybrid strength training. And I think I get injured and hurt minimally because I do a lot of mobility and stretching and like taking mm. care of my body. Um, 
but that all comes back to like why I even do any of this. Like, I'm not really trying to be the fastest or the best. Like I want to be the best version of myself, which is all like it is fastest and strongest, but like of me. And so I'm not necessarily like in my head, I'm not trying to, I'll be honest, like world titles are cool. And literally right before high rocks, I was talking to my brother and I told him, he was like, what's the point of all this? What do you, you know, where's your, what's your goal in all this? And I was like, well, like I haven't really won anything big. And I was like, I would like that. Um, but it's not something that I'm like me, like it's not, I feel perfectly satisfied with everything I do because I want to be the best, most capable version of myself. And every day that I show up and work towards that. And then every time that I race and like have decent results, like that to me is like fulfilling. Like that's why I like to do this. So. Kind of the right way to go about it, isn't it? It's almost, it's interesting though. Cause you said it, it kind of gave me or us a like you against you sort of version. Like I'm just comparing myself to myself. I'm not comparing to others, but you seem fiercely competitive at the same time. So it's an interesting combination. It is a balance of both. I would not say I'm very competitive, um, except that I want to explore my full capabilities. Um, yeah, because I guess in my mind, like my results, my efforts is the one thing I can control. So it makes sense to like really put a lot of effort and like work into that. Anybody else, like on any given day, they're going to be what they're going to be and like, nothing that I do unless I like punch them actually affects that. So to me, like to actually view, like obviously the competition is like, that's like, if you're going to win or not, but you're going to win or not. If you're, if you show up ready to beat everybody else. Um, so I like, I don't know. I would say I'm competitive, but, um, I guess I kind of try to keep it like bigger picture. Like what is actually the competition here? Like winning stuff is cool, but for me, like feeling great is pretty cool too. And like feeling like I gave a great effort is really great. So, yeah. I like that. If you're competing for your best, then if there's five people ahead of you or none, it doesn't change that. But if you get far enough into the race, they're now the catalyst to get you to a place you've never been before. Pretty yeah. Interesting mindset. Yeah. All right, so before we move past this, I do want to know a tiny bit of specifics. Like, if you could say your most commonly done hybrid strength workout, I want to wrap my mind around the type, because everyone has a different concept of what hybrid strength looks like. So those roughly two per week you talked about doing, what's maybe the most common one you've done? How do you set up those workouts? Uh, they're different. They're mostly just kind of whatever I feel like doing. Um I do really well with like other people structuring things because I am not a science person. Like I like to just like put in work. Um, so if I'm on my own, I'll do just kind of a, like with my sandbag, I'll do kind of a, um, some version of like, um, weighted like squats, lunges, burpees, um, thrusters. Like, I don't know. I'll just kind of throw together something that feels decent and do a couple rounds of it. Um, when I do other workouts, like at grit, we did a lot of, um, well, yeah, all the workouts I've done a lot of like kettlebells, which I really like kettlebell work because I feel like it works both strength and stabilization at the same time. And it's like just a more natural, um, piece of equipment. 
Um, so I've done a lot. I mean, and that would very much focus on like, there was an upper body day. There was a leg day. There's a, you know, a cardio day, whatever. Um, yeah. So those are kind of, I mean, any kind of sandbag or kettlebell movement. Um, more recently I've been doing, well, I always try to like put in, I guess the machines has always been something I have to do on my own because it's not really a part of like, like um, rower, skier, assault, yeah. like that kind of thing. Um, and actually, and the gym I've been going to now, like the workouts they throw together are really cool. So I've done, um, yeah, I would say it's just like basic, like functional movements, sometimes weighted, sometimes not. And then different, um, intervals on the machines and like a mixture of all of them. Say what? Does that vary too? Um, oh, like 20 to 40 to 60 ish. So you're not scripting out a a progressive nature throughout the year. You're hitting what feels like you should hit that day. Yeah. Okay. Um, when I first moved here, I was down at um, the Day Hills, VJ's girlfriend's parents, and they have like a whole like garage gym set up. So this was like getting ready for High Rocks World Champs. I, and I would literally just kind of throw together um, a little combination of bait, like very High rock specific, like weighted lunges, like, or either like a couple movements at a time and then a run or a run with a movement, like different versions of that. And I kind of did that, uh, really just still t- two times a week, like mm-hmm. two times a week is the, like, I feel like if I get two solid workouts in a week, I, I'm pretty much going to be at my best. Yeah. So, yeah. I have, um, if you want to stay on training specifics, Bracken, we can, I have two questions. I no, want to for on. sure ask, but before this is over, um, one is I, I want to get into a little detail with, but the the first or the first of the two questions is out of sheer curiosity. Um, with the flow of your season, all the crazy shit you do, be real with me, okay? What is it? Let's say forty five races approximately. How many of those races did you feel like absolute dog shit for? How many did you feel apathetic somewhere in the middle? And how many did you show up and feel great? Like, give me an idea. Like, can, can you show up every weekend and feel your best every weekend? Like, where, what are we really talking here, Chris? I showed up, I would say, every weekend feeling like a million bucks, except for Decafit this two weeks ago. After WTM. Come on. You're saying, like, 90 six percent of the time you show up feeling like my body's giving me what i wanted to give me today and the hundred miler i did a week before didn't affect me and all of that nothing i feel like i no yeah like thinking about all of them i show up to a race feeling great um i think a lot of it is like mentally like i wake up every day grateful to be alive um grateful to like have the life i have and it's been a lot of different versions, but like, I'm still grateful to be alive. Um, and I think part of what helps me like recover and then gear up is like, I feel like I wake up every morning, like grateful for the experiences I've had and like excited for what's next. And so like, it's kind of hard to like show up to a race, not feeling that way when like, that's how I wake up every day is like, I don't know. I, um, I think life is crazy and there's a lot of like good things and bad things that happen. But if you like every day really is kind of a reset. And I think I, I try to like really live 
that way of like every day I wake up and I'm just like glad I'm alive. The sun is out and it's going to be a great day. Um, yeah. Now people say I felt great in this ultra. Like I felt from 50 on, I felt great. Now it's not that you felt great. You felt great for how an ultra should feel. I say it's all a lie. Everything sucks and everything hurts. (laughs) But things can be going great in that spectrum of what great really is. Like if you felt that way in the middle of a Wednesday jog, you'd be like, something's wrong with me. But in the moment for mile 50, I feel great. Is there a bit of that mindset going into a race? Like I'm a hundred, I'm, I feel like a million bucks considering I just ran a hundred or do you actually feel like a million bucks? A little bit of both. I think I definitely like, I found like with hundred milers, I ride a high for like a solid week, which I think helps me like roll right into like, I hey, let's go work out. Let's go run. Like a hundred milers are like the ultimate high for me. Um, I think because they're so difficult and they're so mm-hmm. hard and there's so many unknowns and there's so many questions. Like it's just such like an adventure. Um, when I finish it and like it's done and I get to go sit down finally, like it's a very, very good feeling. And I ride that for like a week. I found after like, even after like good OCR races, I'm kind of tired and like, whatever, like there is not the level of high that there is after a hundred miler, even a bad hundred miler. Like even the first one I did this summer sucked and I literally 30 miles in, I hated it. And I had to like tell myself, like, if I don't change my attitude, I will not finish this. Um, I hated that one so much. Weren't you listening um, to us while you did that one and something Bracken yes. said or something? And I thought I it was, was a DNF die. episode. Yes. What, what was that? You messaged us about it and it was very endearing. Uh, I said something about like, I listened to this while I was considering my own DNF because I was literally like, nothing uh, in me wants to do this. I want to quit. Like, I hated it so much. Um, that was, yeah. And, and not only did I like, it was a very uninspiring course. It was like 80% gravel. (laughs) No, the episode was great. It was a very, well, and so actually the episode was helpful because I was like, I want a DNF, but as y'all were talking about like your reasons for DNFing, I was like, I don't have any of those. Like, there's no reason I can actually quit this. So it was, that was very helpful. Um, but I definitely, it was a terrible course. There were no good views at all. And like, to me, like views are like automatically that's a 40 miles of greatness. Like, um, and then I started hurting. Well, no, that was, I started hurting in places I should never hurt like 10 miles in. Like, so I had a lot of like doubts as to my physical ability for it. Um, and by the time, like, yeah, I just hurt the entire time. And I think it was at like mile 70 to 80 ish is when I was listening to this podcast. And I realized I was like, okay, I hurt. But again, I think I kind of took the bigger picture. I was like, if I quit this race, I can't grand slam. Like I have to finish this race. It's not an option. And like, yes, everything hurts and every step hurts. And my ankle was like swollen so badly, but I was like, I can still move. I can still run. Like, let's just get it done. Yeah. Um, that was the worst one. But even after that one, like recovery, like then I was ready for Mexico. I was like, let's do something else. Um, yeah. So I ride the high from hundreds, which helps me like feel excited for the next weekend. I will say after I finished the last of the grand slam races, I kind of hit a slump where it was like, 
I realized, I think that was one of my bigger goals for the year was doing all those hundreds. And once I finished it, OCRWC was like two weeks later. And I was like, I don't care. Like I might just stay home. Like I did not care at all. Um, that all changes like the week before when I get excited about it again, but there was a little bit of like, I'm kind of done. <laughs> There's no more hundreds on the schedule. Like what's the point? Uh, yeah. I'm not looking to like find flaws in you, but is part of this the defense against the post-race letdown or, or would you do this even if that wasn't a thing? You, people have that post-ultra depression or post-marathon or whatever. Like, what do I even do now? We already know what you're going to do next. Is that intentional or is it just a byproduct? I think it's just a byproduct. Um, I found 2020 was like a very, um, like I learned a lot about myself that year because I started running because I like racing. I like to feel excited at the start line. I like to try to be the best out there. And I love the finish line. Like I like to race. Um, so 2020 when there suddenly were no races, um, I did more that year than like ever that I'd done leading up to it, especially training wise, because I just like to race. So I would say I did more racing than training. Um, but I found like just doing things that make me happy or excited were just as satisfying as races. Um, so I would go to a state park and run around for the weekend. Like I ran from town to town. I like, I did all kinds of like just things that were fun, which were also very physical. Um, and I, I have a fun time like coming up with what's next and doing what's next. And I like, I think I've fully enjoyed the experience of it. And, um, I don't find myself having to fight like a, I don't know. Um, again, I think it just comes back to like, I try to live every day. Like I'm grateful to be alive and be able to move and do cool stuff. So what went wrong with your formula at DecaFit then? Um, so the I one was, time you, you said you felt like crap, what happened? I was very well, how broken. Did you feel and I was respond sick. to that? I was oh. sick. I was like yeah. sick, sick, like normal human sick, sick, sick. Like I was, coughing and snot rockets a lot during that whole race. Um, I, I would say that's kind of the bigger thing. I don't get sick often and I normally just try to like muscle through it, but I didn't muscle through this one very well. Um, so I actually, but nothing even, to do with like even race that fatigue. One, it was sick. Nothing, nothing at all. Oh, okay. Um, my legs really felt great. And like on the team race, I ran faster than I've ever ran before. Like by Saturday evening, like, I felt fantastic, but I was definitely sick and like the long effort. Um, even that though was like fun. I definitely had the thought I ran in like, well, I finished in seventh and I think I ran in like eighth through 10th most of the time. Um, and I kind of had the thought I was like, yeah, there always has to be that middle back of the pack. Like that's me today. Um, and then when I started getting laughed, I was like, I'm excited for my friends. Like it was just a very like, just what it is today. Like, this is all I got. Um, yeah. Now you know how it feels. Now I know how it feels. I literally, I've only had uh, that feeling of like being at the back of the pack once before. And both of those times, it's like, this is not a normal feeling. Um, the, the second question I had for you um, is the follow-up question to our first conversation, which um, you admitted to us that you never have really pushed yourself past like 80%. You said, I don't, I go out there and I like, yeah, I work hard, but like, I don't think I've even accessed 
a part of me that I think a lot of other athletes do. And I don't remember your phrasing, but it was like, I'm operating at like 80% when I go out there and race. Um, have you been able to access more of that 20% that's left this year? Is that a result? Uh, is that a byproduct of your success? Or do you still feel like you're operating sub max maximally? I'd say I'm getting a lot closer to it. I have thrown up several times this year, which I've never done before. And I think that's a sign of maybe a little more uh, distress on my body than normal. Um, yeah. I, asked I would you that say after high rocks on the live coverage. That high was rocks one of my physics. questions. And you said, yeah, yeah I did it today. <laughs> yeah. And I threw up that. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I've learned. Um, I think a lot of it has been kind of like, I still don't entirely identify with like the word athlete. Like I'm still just like a normal person. And I still, I don't really like the word training because like, I'm just living, like I'm not really training. Like I'm living and I'm racing and I'm like, my living happens to be like moving a lot and whatever, but like, I'm not training for something in the future. Like I'm living now. Um, so both of those things, I feel like, um, I kind of have a hard time like identifying as those things. Cause I'm like, I'm just a normal person doing what I like. Um, but I think, um, I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. Where was I going with the, we're talking about working oh, hard, oh, accessing yeah. your hundred percent. So I think, so I think kind of recognizing that I am an athlete and like, this is what I do has given me like a little bit of like confidence in myself and my ability to like, most of the time I'm like, okay, like we're just going to go out and like see how this goes. But now I know, like I go into a weekend into WTM, I can run a hundred miles. And so like, there's some level of like confidence in what I'm capable of. So even if I may, like, I, you know, I just kind of feel like going 80, like, no, you can and should do more. Um, so yeah, I think mm -hmm. I'm kind of learning and I would say kind of like stepping into it more of like, learning what I'm capable of, what my abilities are, and then like owning that and like really going for it. And, and learning. learning, like learning how to work hard as well, because I like, I mean, I think naturally we kind of like, I like to give kind of the bare minimum, like this is enough. Good. Um, but like really going all in a little bit more. Earning the ability to hurt is kind of like a like a video game and levels to a video game, which I don't play. I think they're a waste of time. But like level one's easy and you unlock that key to level two and it's a little harder to get through and you unlock the key to level three and it's even a little harder. And your ability to push, find those extra percentages have to be earned with like opening the right door with the right key. And then once you get to that level, you're there and now you know how it is to be there and then you jump to the next. But you like you think you know what it's like to hurt until you find out what it's really like to hurt. And then you still think you know what it's like to hurt until you really find out what it's like to hurt. And that keeps progressing it to a certain point. And you can't just come out of the gates and be like, yeah, I know what 100% is because it's actually impossible until you go through seasons of competing, I think anyways. You're probably yeah. going through a bit of that, I would assume. I agree. There was definitely levels of that, like when I first started racing like the national series and like the top people in Spartan, I was like, okay, like I'm not on their level. Like if they take off, fine, go. But then once I realized like, no, I can keep up with them and I will that like push. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the, I think the competition comes in very helpful when you can compare yourself to like others and know that like I can and do, I can and will 
do what they do and more. Like, I don't know. And I did not have that before. I had a lot of, I would say like, um, just kind of like lack of confidence of like, okay, like, can I really like try to kill myself keeping up with them? Realistically, probably not. I'm just going to kind of like sit here where I'm comfortable. Um, and I've like, mm-hmm. I think I've moved past that a little bit. Still not oh, at a hundred. I'd say maybe 90, 95. Yeah. Oh, there's still more. There's a lot more. Speaking of hurting, what was a 24 hour obstacle course race at world's toughest mutter with the coal and having to run in a wetsuit because you're getting wet multiple times per lap and it's 34 degrees out. What was that like compared to any of the other hundreds you've done? Could you get to a worse place or was it harder to get to the place because pace wasn't accessible? It was absolutely miserable. Um, and I PR'd a lot of my like ultra distances because um, well, one was flat and the first several laps um, were no obstacles. So I was running way faster than I should have in any normal hundred for the first 30 miles, um, which I needed to do. Like it worked out fine and it did not affect me negatively. Um, but other than that, like it sucked. And I knew going into it that I was going to hate it. And I think, uh, yeah, I was just prepared to like fully hate it. And I did. (laughs) Um, But I think also like I still went into it with like I wasn't trying to race. I was trying to get 100 miles. And so I realized pretty early on um, by the time I hit 50 miles, I was on pace for like a 14 hour hundred miler, just way too fast. But with any hundred miler, um, your first half, once you hit your first half, you know that like you can double that and you will finish the second half in like no more than double your first half time. So when I hit, um, the first half in like seven hours, that's like graded for a 21 hour hundred miler. And I was like, we good, we got this. Um, so having that goal was really cool. Um, another thing that like, I, um, I really had to psych myself out and I knew it was going to be cold and miserable. And I kind of had this line going through my head the entire time that like definitely brought me back to life a couple of times. Um, somebody had sent me this like before, I think it was before Leadville. Um, but it's something along the lines of like, it's cold, it's dark, you're hurting, you're miserable, yet you're warm with the fire inside you. I think it's something like that. Hmm. And I thought that line like several times and it would make me smile because I knew like, I wasn't like the hurt, like the cold, the misery, whatever, like those were all like external things. But like internally I was like, I was going for that hundred. I was going to get that hundred. And like, I tell myself all the time, like I could do this all day. I could like, I feel great. Um, so that helped me a lot. Like definitely having a strong, intrinsic goal apart from anything else physical. I will say though, like I felt amazingly good for being cold and miserable for 24 hours. Cause we were literally wet for about 24 hours. Um, and I hate being wet and I hate being cold, like with a passion. I think I'm a very cold blooded person. And so I like need the sun and I need warmth to feel like normal, like to balance me out. Um, but I 
yeah, I just coated myself up in neoprene and told myself like, you know, obviously the more you move, the faster you, or the warmer you stay. And then, you know, it's only 24 hours. When did you first want to not be out there anymore? Not really ever. I was like there to run a hundred. I don't think I let myself think that. Um, what? Are you going to do it again? I will go back if I can do well over a hundred miles, which I will find out early next year. Um, I would absolutely go back, but with a different goal and a different big goal. Um, there were two laps where I like was falling asleep out on course. And those laps were a little bit like I had to get caffeine after that. Um, other than that, like, I don't know, like I had a reason to be out there and yeah. All right. My final world's toughest question is how many times did you pee your wetsuit? <laughs> At least every lap. <laughs> At least every lap? Yes. <laughs> Do you start to look forward to it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Except um, I actually like had my pants on backwards the whole time, my wetsuit pants. And so they rubbed in a lot of <laughs> uncomfortable places. And every time I pee, it was like, this feels good, but it actually really hurts. And like, so, so. <laughs> every single lap. <laughs> And there's the problem with trying on your wetsuit for the first time race morning. No, the problem was I asked my crew to put it on. I literally had them put my pants on for me. Not that I'm blaming them. It was also dark. It was the middle of the night. Um, yeah. At one so point, it was she warm, asked but it me, also burned. That's what I'm understanding. I actually, I did not get hurt as badly as all the other guys did. All the other guys were like limping around, bruised, like destroyed. And I was pretty much fine. There was one point where she did ask, like, do you have any chafing that we need to take care of? And I was like, nope, I'm good. I can, like, it was bearable. So it was not bad. Leave it to Brack and ask the burning questions. Uh, Listen, I've gotten to the point in Tahoe where I couldn't wait till I could pee myself again. Where I'd start holding on uh, holding on to my pee heading into the cold water swim so I could pee right after and warm up. Like, it is. That's the key. It's nature's heated blanket. Well, I have... I have two more quick questions for you, and then I'm looking at the clock, and I, I can yeah. I want to be respectful of your time. But um, first one is, what are the three most painful races of the year? What ones sucked and hurt the most? What were, what forced you to go to the well or the, uh, you know, bump that percentage of learning how to hurt up more? Like, what three races stand out to you where you had to dig more than you have previous years? Um, the results you really earned. Old Dominion, that first 100-miler. Um, that's kind of the one that sticks out. Just straight up that one. Mm -hmm. All the other ones, like maybe hurt some, but like, that was the one where I was like, I might die doing this. Even like high rocks world champs. Like I felt better as I went on, like that didn't get worse. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. It's just one. Um, well, I have two more questions now, but these are quick ones and I'm going to ask you a super unfair question. Uh, and I might have asked you this the first uh, time we interviewed you, but I don't remember if I did or not. So um, you only get one, Chris. You get pure ultras in the trails. You get hybrid. You get true OCR as we know it. You only get one for the remainder of time. You have to decide. What do you decide? Um, so like to be my focus for the year? No, it's all you can ever race. Be all you can ever race. <laughs> don't try to weasel your way around this one. <laughs> Cause that's what I'm doing. I'm picking a focus for the year and then just throwing in the others, like sprinkling them in. Um, uh, it no, probably... no, that's not... <laughs> you're sprinkling them in like the top fell out of the shaker. 
Um, it would probably be hundred milers. Mm. Mountain ultras. I think I, the most... I think I do the other ones cause I can make money doing them and I'm like decently good at them, but mm. they are not like the hundreds like are the most difficult thing I've ever done. And also the most rewarding. As Matt B. Davis says, the DNA changing type events. Those are the ones that stick with you. Um, cool. And the last question I have, and Bracken, I'm sure you have a few more, but I just want to make sure I get them out here before we hit the two-hour mark, is um, it's probably too early to ask, but have you have you thought much about next year, um, what you would like to focus on or hit or any sort of outline to your competitive year, 2023? Um, I will do my first 200-miler. Um, I'm going to be sort of sponsored as a trail runner. And so I will be getting like more entries to some trail events and hundreds. So that's kind of like, that's the focus for the year. Um, and then I've looked at all the dates for the Savage series and I will possibly do that. Um, high rocks. I actually, I'm doing a high rocks this weekend. And I don't like that they start the season so soon because I don't peak for high rocks until next, like the beginning of the year. Normally, or last year when I did a high rocks at the end of the year, it was the worst experience of my life. I was actually like shocked. Um, but I was also probably not as prepared as in this time. So I don't know how high rocks will be here, but I hope to get into U.S. champs and then world champs. Um, so I'm doing a couple of high rocks at the beginning of the year a bunch of ultras and hundreds, mostly in the summer and then possibly Savage series and Spartan series. If they ever decide what they're doing. Um, I think I would love their new format. So yeah, I'm good at like, that's short enough. Either that or give me a hundred miles. Three K or a hundred miles. Perfect ends the section. Um, that and then I plan to spend a lot more time at home and doing a lot more mountains and hiking. I didn't do enough of that this year. So, what does a Sounds partially like sponsored yeah. trail runner mean? Um, I've worked with Ultra Shoes for I guess just this past year, uh, and they are. I was on kind of like their mid tier team where like I got a bunch of I got some benefits, but really like nothing else. Um, this year they're looking to kind of like up that team and they would really like me to be on it. Um, and this will be some monetary support, some help with like travel and like actually kind of being one of their sponsored athletes, but it's supposed to be like a channel into their like official sponsored athlete. Do you wear them yeah. exclusively for every event, every distance? I use them one absolutely exclusively for hundred for any ultra trail, anything. And I've tried other shoes. I've tried, well, I've tried BJ. That's about it. Um, and I'm sticking with Ultra, 100%. Um, they don't make an OCR shoe, so that was kind of our deal this past year, is like they don't make an OCR shoe, so I can't race OCR in them, except for WTM. Um, so that's still kind of like our agreement, more or less. Um, but I'm focusing more on Ultra, or on, yeah, the Ultra distance this year, so I can wear their shoes. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I wear their shoes for Ultra, and then also for like DecaFit and High Rocks. They have the best shoe. Well, I don't have any more questions. Yeah. <laughs> I do need to go wake my baby up. So. Well, go wake your baby up. Were you going to say something? No, I just, I, every time we talk, I, I am always a little surprised by how little you plan and a little surprised by how much you mentally plan. 
like both of them at the same time, I'm always a little bit it's like, oh yeah, that that's a little surprising. And this was just like that. And I, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. So thanks again. Yeah. Anytime. Here's one of them. It looks now. like baby is up. Baby is up. All right. Well, apologize to them for us and thank them for us that we could ask you yes. today. I will. They're pretty great. So I think they'll be understanding. They are. Do you want to say yeah. Hi? This is a great conversation. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Till next time, Chris. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you guys very much. Um, yeah, I enjoy listening to your podcast and I'm actually learning some, so a plus. Good. Look at that. Maybe you're the only world champion that's learning something from us, which is fantastic. It helps. All right. Talk to you, you later. To All right. Chicago. Bye.